Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Decision time for the government. Current restrictions set to last into March. Dr Gabriel Scali, Professor of Public Health at the University of Bristol, joins us live with Fianna Fáil TD Neve Smith and Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke in studio. Hotel quarantines and staycations. Owner of the Armada Hotel, John Burke, joins us to share his views on the industry as well as President of the Irish Hotels Federation, Elena Fitzgerald Kane. And later in the show, with 688 deaths so far in January associated with COVID-19, GP Dr Brian Higgins will be here to discuss the vaccine rollout. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. First tonight, Virgin Media News reporter Ashling Nikushtala joins us now live from the Department of Health. And we're hearing, Ashling, that the lockdown will be extended until March 5th. Yes, Claire, that's what we're hearing this evening. That Cabinet subcommittee that has been ongoing all evening, finishing up just at about quarter past nine this evening. What we're hearing from it is that the current restrictions that are in place will be extended now until the 5th of March. The committee um, discussing a number of issues today, but particularly a number of issues in relation to travel and what kind of tougher and stricter measures could be put in place in relation to international and domestic travel. So what we're hearing this evening is that it has been agreed that anybody arriving into the country that doesn't have a negative COVID test or if you're arriving into the country from Brazil or South Africa, there will now be a mandatory quarantine period of two weeks, two weeks in a hotel. So that's for international people, travellers coming into the country here. The issue of domestic travel was also discussed at the meeting here at the meeting this evening, that cabinet meeting. Um, the Guard's saying today that they've issued 1,500 fines over the past two weeks for people breaking this five kilometre rule. We're expecting to see um, an increase in Garda checkpoints over the coming weeks, particularly at airports and ports. The Guard's saying today that people have to be very mindful of what is necessary travel and going on your holidays isn't necessary travel and um, there'll be increased guard the checkpoints at the airports while they can stop you there and talk to you and fine you they can't actually stop you from getting on a plane to go on your holidays but they are appealing to people to be mindful of that five kilometre rule and not to break that restriction unless it is necessary. Ashling, we also got an update today from health officials at the number of cases coming down sadly seven deaths. 
Yeah, seven deaths that occurred all in the month of January. Claire, the number of cases are falling. They're decreasing on a daily basis by about 8 to 10 percent, which is good news. There was 1,372 new cases reported this evening. But Professor Philip Nolan saying we are continuing to see rapid improvement, which is good news. We're seeing a decrease in the number of people being admitted to our hospitals. The number of admissions on a daily basis is under 100 per day. For the last five days. We're also seeing um, a quite a low number of close contacts for people. So people's close contacts are around 2.5 at the moment and they're remaining low, which is quite good. It means people are really putting in an effort to adhere to the restrictions that are currently in place. Um, Dr Ronan Glynn was asked about the Brazilian strain of the virus. He said there was no case of that in the country so far. And he was also questioned about the return to school and when we could possibly see a return to school. And he said, given the, the difficult situation we're in at the moment, that it would be very hard to see that kind of movement, a movement of one million people and the schools opening up any time in the coming two weeks. We were told, however, even though the numbers are moving in the right direction and it is good that it will take quite a period of time before we see any pressure eased on our hospitals. And Ashling, we also got an update today on the vaccine rollout and how that's going. Yeah, that's right, um, Claire. Our community vaccination programme is set to begin in mid-February. A statement out by the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly this evening, and he said that the third group will start to be vaccinated in mid-February. They're the people over the age of 70, so they will start with 85 upwards and then they will move down. This vaccine will be administered through their GPs. Now, the February delivery of the AstraZeneca, he said this evening, will be at the lower end of the scale than what we had expected and the March delivery will be much lower than what we had expected. He said that the second dose to the 77,000 healthcare workers of the vaccine would be um, administered over the coming weeks and that there will be an information campaign rolled out over the coming weeks in relation to the rollout of the vaccine. Now, the AstraZeneca situation quite worrying right across Europe this evening. We know that um, the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, was in contact with the company today. Very strong in her words with the company. She said that Europe has invested significant amounts of money to make sure that supplies arrive and also saying that the European Union is now asking AstraZeneca to outline in detail how many doses of the vaccine it has produced and who these doses have been supplied to. But how the issues at AstraZeneca and the issues surrounding the delivery and the supply of the vaccine will have an impact on our own rollout of the vaccine programme here over the coming weeks. We'll just have to wait and see. Okay, Ashling at the Department of Health, thank you for that update tonight. Well, Dr Gabriel Scali, Professor of Public Health at the University of Bristol, joins us now. And here in studio, Fianna Fáil TD, Neve. Um, um, Neve Smith and Sinn Féin TD, Darren O'Rourke, thank you all very much for joining us. First to you, Dr Scally. And you've been talking about mandatory quarantining for quite a while now. Um, the government only appears to be catching on to it now. What are your thoughts on it and how you think it'll work here? Well, quarantine is such an old concept. It's been practised uh, for centuries, including in Ireland for centuries. And it works. It works against infectious disease and it means keeping the virus from getting to your shores. And that's what we need to do. We needed to do it, of course, um, right at the beginning of this pandemic. And we should have done it again during the summer would have been another fantastic chance. But now with the vaccines coming, 
but slowly coming. Um, we can't afford to take our foot off the pedal, to lower our guard and let these variants in. And in fact, that means we have to put up our guard because um, there isn't effective quarantine. You know, we've a, a voluntary system, really, of, of self-isolation in these islands. And we haven't taken advantage of being an island surrounded by water. And we need to get ahead of this virus. You need to um, not be led by the virus. You need to lead. You need to get there out in front of the virus. And one of the ways of doing that is a really good managed isolation system uh, across these islands that will stop any more variants coming to us and keep us safe. And it means we can drive the virus down to zero, keep it there and return to normality. It's good for everyone. Dr. Scully, you've talked about managing the isolation really well. And some people would say this mandatory quarantining won't apply to everybody coming into the country. It will apply to people coming from countries where there are variants and to yeah. others who have, don't have a negative PCR test. So in that regard, do, do, do the new measures that we're expected to see announced tomorrow, will they go far enough? Well, I think that's like bailing out your boat with a sieve. Uh, people can come from everywhere in the world and change aeroplanes all around the world. And how do you know where they originated from? How do you know that? Uh, it's very easy to get around these things. So I, I don't believe that's sensible. The one PCR test prior to departure from uh, the originating country, that will pick up some cases, but it could miss as many as 40% of the cases. So I, I don't... that. I mean, that's a tissue paper solution. It's not what we need at all. We need a proper managed isolation for everyone who's coming onto the island. And that's the only way, the only way we can be sure of keeping the variants out. So you don't think this is going to make much difference at all? I don't think it'll make a big difference. I mean, it, it, these, some of these variants... Um, multiply so fast, they're so transmissible compared to what we've seen to date, that once it gets into the island, in even small numbers, it will be away and it outcompetes the other variants of the virus. So you end up it, with it becoming the dominant. And the only way to do it is stop it from coming in. Well, actually, people will arrive with the variants. That's no doubt. There's no doubt about that but they will arrive into a managed isolation facility where um, that they can be helped through their illness if they become ill, and they can certainly be kept from spreading the infection across the other communities, towns and cities across the island. Dr Scully, there's been much talk around the border arrangements. How do you see an all-island approach potentially working? And can you have mandatory quarantine without having that all-island approach? Oh, it's extraordinarily difficult to have it. But, you know, both administrations signed a memorandum of understanding on the 7th of April, and it's full of good words about harmonisation, cooperation, doing everything possible to keep the people of the island safe. Those are the words that are in this memorandum of understanding. And you look at the statements of the two ministers of health at that time, crystal clear that they will do whatever is necessary to stop this virus devastating us, as it has done. So it's about time that they put that uh, memorandum of understanding into place. And I think politicians uh, north and south need to leave aside some of their party political uh, constitutional prejudices just for a while. They can pick those up again when we have this virus beaten. But there are people getting very ill and dying because of it. And we cannot let 
uh, that type of politics get in the way of doing this. If we can sort out the troubles and bring people together to sort out the troubles, we can bring together people north and south to sort out COVID-19. I have every confidence it can be done. It's up to the politicians to do it. OK, well, Fianna Fáil TD Neve Smith uh, joins me now, as does Sinn Féin TD um, uh, Darren O'Rourke. I, I want to come to you first, Neve Smith. We've heard what Dr Gabriel Scully has said there. He's been outlining the fact that really this isn't ambitious enough, what we're, what we're due to hear tomorrow. Yeah, well, I have huge regard for Dr Gabriel Scully and his work. And uh, as you know, the government have been meeting today and trying to deal, I suppose, with the various variants that have been coming into the country, the huge, massive increase that we have seen, the surge that we've seen since Christmas. And we know that that's partly to do with the new variants. It's partly to do with the Christmas and the lessening of restrictions. So, I mean, you cannot question the government's bona fides here in terms of trying to do the right thing and acknowledging the fact. I mean, Dr Gabriel Scully is looking at it from a medical point of view. The government Shouldn't has... we be looking at it absolutely. A I mean, point public, of view um, now at public, this stage when we have... Public health is always first and foremost in the government's have. mind. Absolutely. But the government has more than that one persona to look at. They have to look at uh, people's livelihoods, industry, mm. uh, keeping the country going as much as we can without landing it into a depression. Uh, obviously, the restrictions... Say, though, that's been the problem to date. We're nearly a year into this now and with looking at all those other factors, what we've seen is a series of rolling lockdowns that are no good for anybody. And that's including all businesses, that's including the economy. All the people on this island are suffering and we have among the highest COVID rates and, and, and deaths for an island of our size in the world. Absolutely. And I suppose as somebody who actually lives on the border and sees, I suppose, the daily uh, difficulties that would present in terms of crossing the border and actually actually locking the people uh, either side of the border. It's a very sensitive thing, uh, Claire. It's not something you can just, you know, write a new, uh, a new uh, piece of law or legislation for tomorrow morning okay. because that would undo a huge amount of work. Can I just finish on this? On the border, the reality is that we have 208 crossings and it cannot be policed and nobody ever wants to see, you know, border controls coming into place and reversing the work of the Good Friday Agreement and, and unravelling 20 years of good work there. That seamless border has to be kept seamless. Okay. And we and it is possible to do this. We know that the government has suggested and will put in place with, with stronger the guard, the, the, the presence, absolutely. Telling people to stay within... Absolutely, and controlling that and ensuring that we bring the best out of people okay. and people have been doing their absolute level best to ensure that that continues to happen. But as somebody who's in the border county, what must be right. done is increasing guard the presence of where the critical mass of travel is and trying to, to ensure bring, people stick to that. I want to bring Darren O'Rourke in here. You'd agree with a lot of what Neve has to say. You agree with the government's approach around the border, would you? I, I do in relation to the border. The border, uh, um, the, the, it is a challenge the, uh, having two jurisdictions on, on the island, but you know we need an all-island strategy to take advantage of, of our, our island status. I think, I, I, think, I think everyone is in, agree in agreement around the sensitivities of the border and how we manage that. So shouldn't we look then at the all-island approach and really getting the relationship right and putting and an agreement in place, no, as no, Dr Scally says, no, and, let's put aside our differences and, and for I, the sake and, of lives. And, and Sinn Féin, I have to say, have been very clear on the outset in terms, and people won't be surprised to hear that from, from us, that we're, we, we want to see an all-island approach. I agree with everything that Dr Scally has said in terms of the, you know, the fact he, he said that the government's approach, you know, they've been dragging their feet every step of the way in relation to this, whether it be in terms of, of the passenger locator firm, whether it be in terms of, of testing. 
for, for so long. We argued for testing. The government argued against testing. Then when they brought it in, it was voluntary and not mandatory. Only when there were 8,000 cases a day did they introduce a, a mandatory regime. And now, as Dr. Cal Dr. Scally says the regime they're, they're talking about introducing now doesn't address the fundamental issues in terms of uh, the, the discretion in relation to testing. We, we won't have post-arrival uh, uh, mandatory testing. And also, there's a huge amount of discretion in terms of the quarantine regime. And that's a fundamental problem with the, with the proposals from government. Yeah, the quarantine regime, this seems to be the big thing. And we know around the sensitivities of the border, that's one issue. But around mandatory quarantine and what we do with people coming into the country, isn't this too much of a softly, softly approach we're taking now that really won't make a difference on our numbers? Well, again, I suppose the, the reality of it is, Claire, we are a small island, you know, uh, uh, very much dependent on the European... what difference would it make to keep people in quarantine for two weeks when they come Well, in I, I would agree, to be honest. Personally, I would agree that quarantine is going to be hugely important. Across and, you know, the board? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I would like to see that, but we'll have to wait to see what the government okay, actually so announces in terms of that tomorrow. My understanding is it will be uh, people coming from Great from Britain, uh, coming from uh, Brazil, coming from uh, South America. And, um, and I believe that that is... People obviously coming from Britain strains, will be held in a hotel for two weeks? I, I can't confirm that because I'm obviously not a cabinet, but I, I do believe I know that the, the Taoiseach is in discussions with Boris Johnson in relation Regardless to having, of the negative having, having some sort or otherwise having some sort of coordinated approach to quarantine okay. and people coming in from England. Okay, I, I just want to bring Dr. Gabriel Scally in again. Uh, Dr. Scally, tell us what you think of the government's handling so far on this, because what we've had is a series of rolling lockdowns. Um, that initially people thought it would work, would bring the numbers down and then we can get our lives back on track. It hasn't turned out that way. Uh, no, it hasn't. And uh, I, there is a real problem. Lockdowns should be a real last resort. I'm desperately against them. I think they're bad for people. They're bad for kids not being able to go to school. They're bad for business. The, the only way of, of sorting this out is to sort out the virus, to get ahead of the virus, to suppress the virus. We need to get it down and keep it down. I, I mean, I think we need to get it down, keep it down and then keep it out. Uh, the public health approach is extraordinarily good for business. You know, I, I'll not have this uh, uh, on the one hand, there's a health uh, dimension. On the other hand, there's an economic dimension. The evidence from across the world is crystal clear, crystal clear. Countries that go for zero COVID and get the virus down and keep it down, their economy does very well. And the people do very well. They get back to a normal life. It's countries who don't do it well like these two islands haven't done it well, where the economies are suffering most. There is no dichotomy here at all. Um, I think, I, I, I mean, I understand the border between North and South very well. I, I did my general practice training uh, on the border. I, I know it extremely well, and I know the difficulty. And that is why I'm not saying that there should be uh, a hard COVID border in Ireland. I don't believe that is rational and possible. It's 310 miles long. Uh, you know, it's not possible. What is, what is a rational response is for the politicians, North and South, to sit down together okay. and thrash I want, out I want to actually bring Neve Smith in on Simple. that. Can, we, can, can the politicians sit down? We've seen a bit of acrimony over the weekend between Micheál Martin and Arlene Foster, you know, discussing our, our, our testing procedures and all of these things. They're not helpful. 
Um, at this point, isn't it imperative now that some sort of arrangement is done? Absolutely, and that's why um, the Taoiseach is speaking with Boris Johnson on this. And we want, without interfering with another jurisdiction's governing process, and obviously Sinn Féin have the luxury of being in government both in instalment and obviously being in opposition in Leinster House. And I suppose that gives them a, a prime opportunity to uh, come to an agreement. But I mean, obviously it is something where okay. we want to go and we want to see right. that united coordinated yeah. approach both north and south and Baron, with England. Very briefly, are you hearing anything from your colleagues in the north so, that something could happen? So, so of course something could happen, but don't forget that we have a system in place there. We have the memorandum of understanding that has been in place for a number of months now and hasn't been acted on by the government in Dublin. And Would you we, be optimistic seen, but, that we could but, see a move but, on this but, but, but in let's, the coming let's be clear. days? We could introduce a mandatory quarantine regime here, uh, 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 including at, at Belfast, if we had the sharing of passenger locator forms for people who, who are coming through okay. Belfast with uh, addresses in the 26 counties. But we're not sharing that information because of the blockage at, at, at a Dublin level. Who's in terms, it? It's with Stephen Donnelly. That's exactly where it is. And, and, and we know it's been reported. My colleague David Colnan, uh, through Freedom of Information, looked at the correspondence, repeated requests on behalf of the, the Minister in the North to the Minister in the South, but no action. So, so it's, it's not good enough to say that the North is an issue. There needs to be action in relation okay. to it. Okay. We'll leave it there. My thanks to Dr Scally for joining us. Neve Smith and Darren O'Rourke will be staying with us. And coming up after the break, owner of the Armada Hotel, John Burke, joins us to share his hopes for the summer tourism season. Stay with us. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Well, we're joined now by Elena Fitzgerald-Kane, president of the Irish Hotels Federation. We want to ask Elena, first off, has hotels been contacted by the Irish government about mandatory hotel quarantining? We've reached out to government um, in terms of quarantine. I suppose, look, this is a matter for government. If they decide that mandatory quarantine is to be introduced, uh, we are ready, I suppose, and willing to put our shoulder to the wheel in terms of, you know, putting infrastructure in place to try and suppress the virus. This is building on what we've been doing already in terms of providing, I suppose, essential services. And we've also offered our facilities as well in terms of if it would expedite, you know, the vaccine uh, rollout, which inevitably is what we all want in terms of trying to move forward. Do you know how many of your members' hotels may be involved in this quarantine process, should it be announced? 
I would expect that it would be minimal, to be honest, Claire. I mean, I would expect it to be kind of primarily around the airports. And that doesn't mean to say that it would be all hotels or guest houses around the airport, because it's very much down to, I suppose, how perhaps the quarantine criteria will evolve, and then looking at the suitability of each of the properties in terms of being able to fulfil that. Um, but I do expect it to be airport-centric for the most part, perhaps some urban areas, uh, but certainly there isn't kind of a huge expectation of there being a big rollout. And also when you look at the numbers that have been coming through, that it would be minimal um, overall, but you know, it may well be a very necessary and a vital part of the infrastructure. And what hoteliers have concerns about how they're going to roll this out and manage it within their own facilities? Uh, concerns about having to rehire staff now at a very quick pace, um, hire more security and turn all that around in a relatively uh, short space of time. But many hotels are open and providing essential services. And in effect, if you were to look at Fall to Ireland's appendices and their hotel guidelines, there is already, I suppose, an infrastructure in place around catering for guests that are restricting their movements. Now, quarantine may be a different or a more extreme version of that. So there is an infrastructure in place. You know, if this comes to, I suppose, fruition or is implemented, there then you would expect that all of the existing protocols will be looked at. You know, there'll be a change, I suppose, to the procedures, how we go about things. And that a huge part of that would be in terms of involving our staff and putting the appropriate procedures and training in place. Um, but a lot of hotels, you know, that are probably around the airport um, would already be open and providing uh, essential services. So it wouldn't be a fundamental shift in, in many cases. But equally, there could be some hotels that are closed uh, who might, you know, be ideally suited. But it's very much down to the individual properties and how they'd fulfil whatever criteria are set out. Elena, if you had a message now for government ahead of the announcement around this plan, what would it be? The message is that we are ready, willing and able to help out in whatever way we can. In the same way, if our infrastructure, bottoms like my own here, you know, if that can be used as part of the vaccination rollout. Um, I suppose we want to put the shoulder to the wheel. We can't wait for the day no more than everybody else where restrictions are lessened because public health has improved to that level. Um, and this is a critical part, I suppose, of how we move forward. And we, will, we are ready to play our part as well. Okay, President of the Irish Hotels Federation, Elena Fitzgerald, thank you for joining us. Well, Fianna Fáil's Neve Smith and Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke are still here and joining us now via Skype is owner and managing director of the Armada Hotel in County Clare, John Burke. John, I want to go to you first and just ask you just how business has been for the past 12 months. We're nearly 12 months now that we've had so much uncertainty, shutdowns and reopenings and now this third lockdown. Uh, it's uh, been extremely difficult. I think, as Oscar Wilde once said, uh, we're all lying in the gutter, but some are looking at the stars. And I guess that's my approach to it. I'm certainly trying to find the positives amongst it all, uh, despite all the adversity and all the setbacks. Um, you know, we, we are uh, receiving a lot of government support. Uh, we have great people representing us, like the Irish Hotels Federation. And, and as a business in the Armada, we're trying to drive on as best we can, uh, retain the team and hopefully come out of this uh, better than we ever were. But it's uh, certainly uphill struggle many days. OK, we're hearing about the lockdown being extended to March 5th. That's going to go much beyond that for hospitality. Have you been guaranteed supports beyond March, late March? Uh, no, we haven't any guarantees uh, beyond late March. And... I think that's probably the biggest ask uh, I would have right now is that we get some commitment around that. Uh, right 
for example, today uh, we were doing our manpower planning and starting to make our recruitment plans to put get people in place and, and to build our team from uh, 95 that we have on the books right now in the Armad up to potentially 130 if supports are there. Um, and we need that, we need kind of confirmation on that as soon as possible so that we can make those plans and get ready to hit the ground running. Uh, we were certainly on the back foot coming out of previous lockdowns um, without having it. I guess enough notification at times uh, to really uh, uh, adapt our business and, and to get ourselves open and, and, and to, uh, offer as good a service as we possibly could. So as much notification on this allows the business to thrive and allows us to, to support the community and, and to employ people and, and to drive on as a business. Uh, so supports, uh, employment subsidy supports is certainly uh, the number one ask I would have along with the other supports that we're getting. I, I believe the government has been there with us so far uh, and you know I'm not politically orientated towards any party whatsoever but the government have been there, we just need, they just need to get us out the other side of this. Uh, there are a lot of, do a lot of hotels uh, and knocking on the door of insolvency with huge cash flow challenges um, and, and they've got us this far, 11% of, of the workforce in Ireland are employed in the tourism and hospitality industry. Uh, and they were a huge part, we were a huge part of the recovery the last time after the last recession. Um, and we can do that again and, and all these supports and all these commitments we've got from government will be repaid tenfold in the coming years okay. uh, if, we can, if they can just get us to the other side of this. Okay, John, I wanted to ask you what you think of the hotel quarantine plan and whether that's something that may affect you at Shannon Airport or whether you think that fellow hoteliers would be up for that. Uh, so I believe uh, as, a, as an industry, I've uh, been well represented by the Hotels Federation. Um, we're going to do whatever is required of us as an industry. We've got the supports and, and I believe whatever is required or however we need to step up to the plate, I believe myself and, and my colleagues will do the same. Uh, you know, certain hotels I, I don't believe will, will be suitable for it. I don't believe, uh, for example, the Armada Hotel in Spanish Point being an hour away from Shannon Airport. and, and uh, I believe the location is so amazing it would be very difficult to keep people quarantined inside in their bedrooms. Uh, so I, I believe certain hotels and certain locations would be very suitable to it and, and I've no doubt that my colleagues would be... Well, we'll try uh, not to judge those hotels and, and, which, uh, which, may be, which may be used for quarantining <laughs> reasons there, John. No, for sure. But uh, look, we're, we're in Spanish Point. We're a destination. Uh, okay. You know, we're, we're, on a, we're on people a there. Yeah. On a serious and, note, John, on a serious note, like if we're looking down the line, um, heading into the summer, and there is much talk, there was much talk last summer about staycationing, but really it's tourists from abroad that keep hotels running, isn't it? Yeah, look, we're... We're, uh, we've been very lucky in Spanish Point, uh, for example, with the staycation business. It, it, it delivered good business to us last summer, but you know it's been a very short year. Summer uh, won't make a year for us or sustain the hotel for a year. Uh, we do need that overseas business to come true, but you know when the time is right, that will happen too. Uh, we just need the support to get us to that point. Um, certainly, you know my colleagues in, in the five-star end of the hotel sector are very reliant on that North American tourism, a hugely lucrative part to drive on the, the tourism business in, in the country. Uh, you know, we need to see uh, the, the high spenders from, from North America and from elsewhere uh, starting to visit our shores. But at the same time, um, I think nothing uh, comes before uh, the health of the nation, the health of our, our team and the safety of our team. Um, you know, that's number one for me and I'm sure for all my colleagues too. Okay. So when the time is right, we'll be there ready to welcome them.
Okay, uh, Neve Smith, I want to bring you in here. Uh, it's something John is very optimistic about things, and um, as he says, he's looking up to the stars in a very difficult time. But one thing that hoteliers do want assurances on is about supports because they're not reopening anytime soon. No, and I suppose to be fair to John, he did give cre credit to the government for the supports and for being there with the tourism sector and as chair of the committee with responsibility for that area. We've had a number of hearings from uh, various, I suppose, the Irish Hotels Association the Vitters Association and Fall to Ireland Tourism aren't in, I suppose, to talk the length and breadth of the troubles and the difficulties and the challenges that are facing them. And I think they would all be very clear in, in, the, in the sense that the government's delivery of a 55 million package at the beginning of this did deliver and did help. Um, obviously, we do need to... Uh, I suppose get through this as quickly as possible to bring that overseas they and we're very more, mindful more of clarity can I just now just we're very mindful of the fact that this is a 260,000 people employed in that sector and that it delivers 9 billion mm. for the local and a economy. lot of them are sitting at home now uh, absolutely just waiting for for a chance to reopen yeah. while understanding what's going on yeah um, so isn't clarity needed now like we're, we're we're being given all these dates and timelines and I think some of the hospitality sector were thinking around Easter now it's looking more towards perhaps the end of May. When will we have those timelines? When will businesses know when they may possibly look at reopening? Yeah. Because we do have a vaccine rollout in conjunction with managing um, the current COVID cases. Well, I have to be honest with you, Claire, and say that this is a fluid, very fluid situation. So I can't honestly here tonight on the show tell and you when that time... On, on supports? I mean, the, the, the government has been absolutely four square with the tourism sector because we know as an economy, we are so dependent on it. With 260,000 people employed in it, it is no mean feat and something the government's four square behind. OK. Uh, Darren, do you think the government has done enough for hotels, for the likes of, of John Burke there, for people who are wondering now what's going to happen, their business, for the remainder of the year? Well, going back to our earlier conversation, the best thing the government can do is to manage COVID-19 on the, on the island of Ireland and across the 26 counties. And that requires a strategy to, to uh, introduce checks at our, our, our ports and airports and, I believe, a mandatory quarantine regime. Now, I, ironically, a mandatory quarantine, you also, I suppose, have to look at it from a practical point of view. That means people are staying um, at hotels for two weeks. It's, it's a huge deterrent, isn't it, for people uh, coming in? So it, essentially it what you're saying is no out side tourism um, for now until well, 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 well ironically the, the, the success of a mandatory quarantine regime would be really low numbers uh, being in mandatory quarantine because what you want to do is, is drive down the amount of discretionary travel the non-essential travel um, and that's something we, ultimately what you want to do is is reduce the risk of the importation of the virus and and the importation of the virus of course is the the cause of of all of the difficulties for the tourism and hospitality sector so i think you can't separate one from from the other and, and the other thing i would say in relation to it is you know there have been a range of supports um but we saw in terms of the, the tax incentive to, to stimulate the tourism and hospitality sector, how poorly received the poor uptake. Sinn Féin, in fairness, had, had outlined an alternative proposal in relation to a, a, a voucher scheme, which would have been far more successful. Wasn't, so the next time the round, they need to do that. Because people couldn't go to the hotels because the hotels were closed. So there wasn't 
an option to avail of this staycation it, incentive? It, it was poorly up, uh, taken up because it was so uh, cumbersome and, and, uh, and uh, you know, I'll the way that, it was put I'll together. Put to Neve Smith. It, it was very awkward, wasn't it? What, what about straightforward cash vouchers? Go spend them yeah. in your local, go and spend them on a, on a you know, night away. Yeah. Uh, personally, I would agree, it, it, you know, it hasn't been mo the most attractive, I suppose, in terms of people actually using it or, you know, accessing it as, as, a, that, as an option. Has but can I just say, Claire, government level that that just hasn't worked and maybe we need to scrap well, that I think, plan I, th I think your point at the beginning is that we've, you know, the staycation summer period, as you know, and the hoteliers would be the first to admit it. They had a bumper uh, summer. I mean, all of us who live in sort of maybe more tourist of uh, attractive areas would know that, you know, all of our towns and villages, particularly along the West Coast and the East Coast, uh, benefited hugely from and that. And everyone I think, couldn't, they had to keep those receipts or they weren't actually valid. So it didn't well, matter I, if you had the big yeah, summer I, holiday and brought the kids for a week. Yeah, away. Yeah. You couldn't actually avail of any discount on that. This was for the latter part of the year and into this Absolutely. Year? No, I agree with that. And I think your point that I suppose people have been, you know, within in restrictions and people couldn't go anywhere. We haven't actually seen the benefit yet. And to be very honest, to actually measure the success of that scheme or not, it will really take into next summer to see if people do Right, OK. Do John that. Burke, how user-friendly do you think it was? Did you see any uptake um, or upturn in business as a result of that staycation incentive by the government? Uh, no, it wasn't something that seemed to resonate well with, with our guests and our customers. Uh, you know, there were some initial queries in the earlier days when it was announced, but uh, but it was kind of a, an invisible incentive, really, I, I believe, after that. Um, and I, I don't believe there was the incentive. That, Do you think that it should be scrapped now? Do you think it should be scrapped uh, now, John? Yeah, look, we won't say uh, no to any support that's coming our way, but I think there's certainly a, a better way to do that. Uh, so I think if uh, you know the, the Federation has put forward uh, some better suggestions how that would, would operate, and I think engagement with the industry is really critical um, and probably something that, that can be improved upon as time goes on. Uh, John, you're pretty upbeat about a bounce back um, to the industry later this year. Would your colleagues and fellow hoteliers agree? Uh, I I think there's probably very mixed opinions about the year. Um, look, I try to stay upbeat about things because because um, if you don't, uh, it can become a very sad and sorry place facing into work. I, I work with uh, colleagues every day, online and offline and on site. Um, you know, I'm, I'm based in West Clare, where where I saw the impact of the last recession on on the community in terms of mental well-being. And I guess as an employer, if we don't remain upbeat and if we don't look uh, look towards the positive and try to, I suppose, clutch at any hope uh, that there is, um, you know, who else is going to do that? I guess we have a, a responsibility to our team and to myself and to my family uh, to remain upbeat, uh, to keep driving forward uh, and to keep, you know, pushing the business on. Uh, Benjamin Franklin once said, within every adversity, there's opportunity. And I suppose we're trying to find the opportunities within that to relook at the hotel and to come out with a better, uh, more efficient, uh, better service, uh, operate, operating and delivering better experience to our guests. That's what we're doing every single day, improving and changing and taking opportunities. Uh, why we have these incentives and supports okay. from the government that are allowing us to do this. Okay, John, we will leave it there. My thanks to Neve Smith, Darren O'Rourke and John Burke for joining us. And after the break, Dr. Brian Higgins, a Galway-based GP, will be here to talk about the vaccine rollout in GP practices.
Welcome back. Joining me now in studio is Galway-based GP, Dr. Brian Higgins, who will be one of the GPs across the country administering vaccines to patients in the coming months. You're very welcome along, Brian. Um, how busy are you right now in your Galway practice? Because we've seen this surge. We mm. know the number of cases have come down in recent days. Yes. But it's been a very, very busy time, I imagine, for GPs up and down the country. You know, absolutely. I think we're very busy. We're, we're different. We were always busy. And even coming up into the... Uh, Corona epidemic, we were we were at breaking point. Like coming into Corona, there was this incredibly difficult flu season, and we we were just a bit burned out with that. And now everything has changed, um, and the landscape has changed, and everyone's going through quite a difficult time. So, whereas whereas we're we're all just busy and and living a different way and working in a different way and getting used to that. Um, I suppose what's making it a little bit easier is now with the the vaccines coming on stream, it feels like the we're coming towards the end of this, which I think is making it a little bit easier on everybody. But that said, with the surge in numbers that we did see, I think we all got a little bit scared. And I know my clinic, uh, we continue to see patients all the way through the epidemic because with the reduction capacity with the hospitals, Anyone who couldn't get to an outpatient facility or anyone whose operation was cancelled, those people still needed care and their care moved back towards the GP. So we were managing all these COVID illnesses, but also these slightly more complicated medical issues. And the difference in what we're seeing is everything we're seeing now at the minute is either COVID related or it's very complicated. People aren't coming in with minor illnesses. Um, because so, they're staying at home and then they're, they're coming to you when it's got really bad. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're finding. Um, do you find yourself frustrated with how the government has managed all of this? Because this surge arguably could have been avoided. I think it's it's diff it's always um, unfair, I think, to look back retrospectively, because I think if things are handled very well and we don't see big numbers, we'll say, oh, they did too much. And I think when, like, I think everyone is looking forward to a break at Christmas. And I think if we'd realised what would have happened, when we got that break in the lockdown, um, I don't think we would have done it. So I think getting frustrated about what's happened is is a waste of energy. I think we have to look forward and I think we really have to. This is not a political issue. This is a health issue. It's a scientific issue. And we have to just push politics aside and, and focus on and, the science. And yeah, focus on, on the science and the advice of health officials. Um, some GPs I know were surprised at the initial slow, what they saw as a slow rollout of the vaccine. Mm. Um, given that um, GPs can administer the flu jab so quickly yeah. and there was talk of, oh, they're taking three days to do a nursing home. We'd go in and do a nursing home in three hours. Yeah. Was that, is there that sense among GPs that this could all be done much quick, much quicker? I think with the vaccine that came on initially was a very difficult to handle vaccine and we probably don't have the facilities in general practice to manage that. I think there was a, probably a frustration that we weren't being vaccinated because obviously we don't close our clinics. We don't stop our lists. We have to keep seeing people. And I think a lot of us felt felt that we, um, uh, there was a slowness to actually get the GPs vaccinated because we were at risk of exposure. But not only that, we were at risk of getting the vaccine and spreading it to our patients before we became symptomatic. And I think all of our nightmare is to make somebody sick. So now that that's been rolled out to GPs, we're quite happy. Um, with the nursing homes and the hospitals, um, I think there's things that could have been done better. But at least now we when the next vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, comes online, GPs will be getting it and we'll be delivering it to our patients. And that's something we're very good at. We do it every year. We do it to children. We do it to adults. We have the systems there and we know they work because mm -hmm. we get through huge volumes of people every year.
Specifically around nursing homes um, and, and in hospitals, you think things could have been done better. What do you think could have been improved? Oh, um, it's a difficult question to answer because obviously I, I wasn't involved in it. And you're always going to look at, you're always going to see the negative things with all of these things. You're going to hear about the Was it the around vaccine. the speed of the rollout? I think there was the speed of the rollout. Like I haven't criticised the rollout of it because I think it is a new vaccine. I think th there is a different procedure with it insofar as when I give you your flu vaccine, you come in, I give you your flu vaccine, you go away. I know you're going to be fine. This is a new vaccine, so we're going to keep an eye on you for about 15 minutes. So it is going to be a slower process. Um, uh, the I think the big issue with this was there was a feeling that some people uh, probably were getting the vaccine when they were higher priority other individuals. But I think that has been addressed now and has been smoothed okay. out. Let's talk about priorities for this AstraZeneca mm. vaccine, which the majority of the population um, will be getting. Yeah. yeah. Um, how will it work? Uh, from a GP point of view, you have your patient lists. You begin prioritising then, do you? Yeah, so we're, we, we're really um, well set up to do this. We've great computer systems, which a, a lot of the hospital environments don't have for historic reasons. Um, and we can really rapidly identify our at-risk patients get them in and get them vaccinated. So when we get it initially, we're, we're being told that it's to be given to the over 70s only. And what we'll be doing is we'll be starting with our oldest patients and bringing them in in groups. Now that's all going to depend Will on you'll be contacting them directly? Yeah, we're going to contact them. So we know which are high risk patients over, over 70. We are going to be actively contacting them. We'll be calling them, texting them, whatever way we can to get in contact with them to get them in. A couple of patients have obviously rang us hoping to get on a list or to be be prioritised, um, but really that's only going to slow us down getting us to getting for so us getting to people that need to be. Please don't call us; yeah. we'll call you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we will get on to people. Um, certainly, there'll be certain people who maybe don't have a GP when they're over seventy. And I think what I would be saying to them now is to go and register with a GP um, so that you can. Uh, be identified when those when those vaccines start coming out. Um, how fast we get them out will depend on how many we get. Um, like four of us could go through 100 or 150 people easily in the morning. Mm. So what we'll be doing is we'll probably be closing our clinics for half days or running a skeleton shift for medical care and getting all staff in to vaccinate okay. where people come in, have all their paperwork done before they come in, um, get the vaccine, they wait in a designated area for 15 minutes supervised and then go home, hopefully uh, protected. Then. I presume it differs between practices in terms of the number of over 70s that you have mm. and you're helping in your practice versus maybe another um, GP surgery. If you've administered to all your over 70s, can you look down your list then and say, OK, next, who's next on the priority list? Contact them and push ahead with that. Or do you have to kind of wait in unison and all operate as one? What we've been told is it's going to be, oh, look at your over 85s first, then I look at your over 80s, then over, you're over 75s, then you're over 70s. So I think I, I have a feeling this rollout's going to be a little bit slower than we all hope it's going to be. There's news that the AstraZeneca vaccine might be a little bit delayed. And I think it's a mistake to focus too much on the vaccine because the vaccine is only Are you part... worried about that potential delay? As you say, I, there's people already contacting your practice wondering when they can get the jab. I don't think so because the vaccine is only part of the management solution. Like we know 
previously that by being careful, restricting our movements, washing our hands, wearing our masks and going through the difficult time we're going now Big works. for people yeah. as well, Brian, isn't it, is that they will get the vaccine it's getting and back life to normal. can return to some sort of normality. Yeah. Um, it's getting it's getting back to normal. But again, for vaccines even to work, we have to get the, the numbers very, very low in a community. Like we've seen it through spread of things like mumps before when, you know, there wasn't a huge, there was a small drop off in the the vaccination numbers and then a small increase in the number of cases in the community and then there was a spread. So it's it's a it's a mistake, I think, to focus solely on the vaccine. We have to focus on getting the numbers down so the vaccine can work the best way possible. About this idea of having a medical lead for the rollout of the vaccine, would GPs like that there was somebody um, a figurehead, somebody in charge, a go-to, or are you happy with the way it's currently being handled? I think right now the way it's being handled, uh, we're not even doing it yet. So I okay. think when we start doing it, we can we can address it then and change it. But okay. like that, we know how to vaccinate our patients. And if we get the vaccines, we'll vaccinate them Okay, all. my thanks to Brian Higgins and all my guests. The Tonight Show will be back tomorrow at 10. Until then, stay safe. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.